Any day in Houston when the air conditioning works is a good day. <laughs> We're especially thankful for that here. Uh, this summer, we kind of went back in time historically into the Old Testament of our Bible and looked at a couple of guys that got it right. We looked at Habakkuk, kind of a strange name, but a prophet in the Old Testament who was having a difficult time. Habakkuk was struggling because he lived during the time of King Josiah and he had seen the king implement spiritual reform and people were excited about God and people were aware of their sin and they were dealing with their sin and they were finding the forgiveness and the grace of God and it was an amazing time in the history of God's people. But it had gotten bad since, since Josiah's time and Habakkuk was, was upset, he was concerned, he was struggling because it was almost as if change had happened, lives had been shaped and formed, and transformation had taken place, but it just didn't stick. And Habakkuk poured out his heart to God to do something new. And then we backed off of Habakkuk and we went back in time again to Josiah, who is the king that instituted all of those reforms that set up the foundation and the background for Habakkuk's prayer, wanting God to move again. And it's not necessarily been an easy study because it's not necessarily light because a lot of things needed to be dealt with. Sin and rebellion and difficulties needed to be dealt with. Lives needed to experience transformation. And there had been two generations of complacent and ultimately wicked decision-making in the government of Judah, particularly in the kings. But Josiah is changing all of that. And we've, we've watched how God shaped and transformed Josiah's life and how he used his leadership to shape and transform his culture. And this morning, we go back to Josiah one more time. We go back to the Old Testament one more time to 2 Kings chapter 22. And we look at Josiah's life and we look at and attempt to understand some of the commitments that was involved in making these reforms, creating the environment that was conducive for God to move and create a revival where people were brought back, where they were drawn back into their relationship with God and drawn back into the love of God and drawn back in their faithfulness and their commitment to God. And Josiah is at the center of this. He's our central leader. It's his heart that is making the difference and it's his heart we hope to emulate in our own lives as well. And so we talk about how Josiah was shaped by commitment. I mean, commitment makes the difference. We, we understand that. It doesn't matter what endeavor you're in. It doesn't matter what business you're in. Your commitment will make a difference on how you achieve and how you accomplish we're in the middle of, of worldwide global attention towards the Olympic trials, and people didn't get there by happenstance. People didn't get there because it seemed like a nice trip. It took commitment. It took discipline. It took extensive effort to accomplish that. What we see in Josiah that is different than a business model and different than an athletic model is Josiah couples his commitment with God. And what Josiah may be able to accomplish on his own, he is able to exceed because it is God who's going to move and it is God who changes lives. 
Coming to church and being a part of church, being a part of a Bible study, being a part of a, a Sunday worship service isn't just to energize our commitment so we can pull up our bootstraps, as we say in Texas, and, and go forward and, and accomplish those things. It's so that we can understand our limitations and how we need God to intervene and work in our lives. Because left to ourselves, we will fail. And that's the very first thing we see today in the passage. It starts off on a negative note, so I'll just, I'll just warn you right up front. It starts off with the realization that their commitment had failed. Josiah has discovered in the restoration of the temple, the Bible, the Word of God. And he has read it, and he has had it read to him, and his leaders have read it, and they have understood at a very basic level that what the Scripture is saying to them is that they have not been living up to the expectations, which means ultimately, if they're not living up to the expectations of God, they're not experiencing the grace or the mercy or the love of God either. And so Josiah wants to understand the scripture and what's happened in our story is Josiah has now sent his leadership and said, find somebody, find a prophet who can explain to us all the things that these words mean. What's the application? What's the, what's the repercussion? What, how is it relevant to us? We've heard the words. We understand that things aren't right. We understand that, that we've let God down, but specifically, what do we need to do? So they've gone and they've consulted the prophets and they come to a lady named Huldah and she is a prophetess and she begins to explain the scriptures to them in 2 Kings chapter 22 in verse 15. And this is where we see the commitment fail. She says to them, as she's explaining the scriptures that they've been reading, this is what the Lord God of Israel says. Say to the man who sent you to me, which would be Josiah, this is what the Lord says. I am about to bring disaster on this place and on its inhabitants, fulfilling all the words of the book that the king of Judah has read. She's acknowledging, see, they understand. They read enough of the Bible that they understood, okay, Things aren't the way it's supposed to be. Things aren't happening the way it's supposed to. And we are not doing what we're supposed to. And they're attempting to understand what happens now. And she's going to explain that. The result of the judgment is going to be wrath. It's going to be a literal judgment and discipline. It's going to be, as she describes it, a disaster that happens to the people of Judah. And she gives them the reason why. And if I was you, this is verse 17, I would actually highlight this or underline it because this is going to be critical to understanding how this is a commitment fail. Because the disaster is coming because they have abandoned me. And as a result of their abandonment, they burned incense to other gods in order to anger me with all the work of their hands. My wrath will be kindled against this place and it will not be quenched. Because they have abandoned me. Their commitment fail was abandonment. This is critical in our generation because sometimes we make phrases or we say things like, well, they have abandoned the faith or they have abandoned church or they quit church. 
And if we phrase it that way, it sounds like the commitment fail is to an institution or to an organization or to a construct, to a paradigm of beliefs or philosophy or thought processes. This is absolutely essential to understanding the work God wants to do in our lives. It is not that you quit church, that God gets hurt. It is not that you stop believing principles and tenets and precepts of Scripture that God got hurt. It it is not that you abandon ways that have been proven throughout the centuries to be the most effective way to live and the most effective way to prosper a nation that God gets hurt. It is much deeper and personal to abandon the thought processes, institutions, and beliefs is to abandon God himself. To abandon God himself. It is is one thing to say, because I have been hurt or injured, or because I, I, I have gone on a different path, I no longer believe in marriage. I don't believe in the institution. It is, it is one thing to say that. It is another thing to say, I no longer love my spouse. And we get this stuff confused because society, culture, government says, in that particular instance, they say, you don't have to believe in marriage the way you've always been told it was. That it's a new day. Thought has evolved. Thought has woke And so it's a new day. Marriage isn't what it used to be. And it's simply not true. Marriage was instituted by God. It was never instituted by society or by civil authority. God created marriage. He created us. He put two of us together because he didn't think it was a good idea for the guys to be left alone. And he said, with this, you're going to leave mom and dad and you're going to be with one another and you're going to be tight and you're going to be intimate and you're going to be as if you were one. To separate is not a physical jettisoning of philosophy. It is a rejection of a human being. Now you take that on a cosmic level. And God says, I love you so much. I want to live in you. I want to be a part of your life. I want to go to school with you. I want to go to work with you. I want to raise your kids with you. I want to, I want to play with your grandkids with you. I want to be a part of every part of your life. And you say, I don't really believe in Jesus anymore. You're not getting rid of a philosophy. You're not getting rid of an institution You're getting rid of, you're jettisoning, you are denying, you are rejecting the person of God. That was Israel's problem. Israel's problem that led to the division of the kingdoms and now Judah's problem, and that's what this prophetess says, your problem is not that you simply just didn't follow the rules, but you abandoned me. This kind of commitment fell is huge. And it can't be like pushed aside or somehow marginalized or somehow legislatively made easier. To disbelieve in God is to deny him personally. Because he's there every day 
wanting to know you, wanting to be a part of your life, wanting to be with us in all the events and circumstances of our life. We, we sing beautiful songs like that old hymn from the 1800s we just sang. We retro our lives back into that period of time and listen to that old song because it feels good to think it is well with my soul. Only because God's holding it. Not because the music's pretty or the lighting was nice or because the words are meaningful, but because God is with us. When Spafford stood on the bow of that boat, looking at the dark waters of the Atlantic, realizing that those waters had swallowed up his wife and his children and left him alone, he wasn't thinking, this is a good philosophy. He was thinking, this is a great God who loves me in my worst moment. Commitment fail is a denial of God. Now, everybody take a deep breath. The hard part's over. Next is a commitment win. And it's Josiah, our hero. The prophetess Huldah responds in, in verse Beginning in verse 18, she responds and says, now say this to the king of Judah, say this to Josiah, who sent you to inquire of the Lord. This is what the Lord God of Israel says. As for the words that you heard, because your heart is tender and you humbled yourself before the Lord when you heard what I spoke against this place and against its inhabitants, they would become a desolation and a curse. And because you have torn your clothes and wept before us the repentance we talked about last week, I myself have heard. God heard. And this is the Lord's declaration. Therefore, I will indeed gather you to your ancestors and you will be gathered to your grave in peace. Your eyes will not see all the disaster I am bringing on this place. And they took the report to the king. It wasn't because Josiah had a great reputation. It wasn't because Josiah had the right credentials. It wasn't because Josiah had all the correct answers. It wasn't because Josiah was just a really cool guy and we were really, really glad he was king in our generation. It was because Josiah's heart was tender and he humbled himself before the Lord. Things that broke God's heart broke Josiah's heart. And because of that, God is going to take care of Josiah. The, the greatest commendation in the mind of the people at that time, in that historical moment in Judah, was that you would live a meaningful life and that you would have a decent death and that you would be left and interred in a peaceful fashion with your family and those who had gone before you. And that's what Josiah is going to get. The nation's going to get disaster, but Josiah's going to live in peace. And the amazing part is his great-grandfather, Hezekiah, who was the only other good king in this period of leadership, he, he got basically the same message, and he was relieved. He, he, was, he was glad. He's like, okay, great. Let everything else go to pot. It's fine. Let everything else get destroyed. I'm going to be okay. But that's because Josiah's heart's not that way. We will spend the rest of chapter 22 and chapter 23 this week and next week looking at the response of Josiah. The tenderness of Josiah's heart gave him commitment that shaped him and shaped the nation and caused the revival and caused the reform to take place.
the tenderness of his heart in regard to the things of God. In the very beginning, when we looked at Josiah, he was compared and he was commended for being like David, that second king in the lineage of Israel's kings, who the epitaph on David's life says that he was a man after God. He had a heart that sought after God. And God said of David, he will do everything I ask him to do. This is a commitment win because now God is available and God can work. In the the stubborn heart that wants to abandon God, God can't work. When we remove ourselves from the presence of God, when we say we're outside of the influence of God, we're not available for God's work. I'm injured, I'm wounded, I'm grieving, I'm hurting, and I'm mad at God. As, as right and as legitimate as that is, as we saw in Habakkuk's case, the difficulty of it is, is we've just placed ourselves in a place where God can't help us because we've denied him, we've abandoned him. He never abandoned us, we are the ones who moved. But in the midst of our grief, in the midst of our sorrow, in the midst of our pain, in the midst of our hurt, if we're like Josiah, we have that tender heart, now, It's no different. We're still in pain. We're still hurting. We're still grieving. But now we're available for God to work and move and work and change our lives. And that's why that level of commitment is a win. Because God can make a difference in a heart that's available. In a heart that's willing to listen. A heart that's willing to hear a heart that's willing to fill, a heart that's willing to be touched. And that's, that's the relationship Jesus wants. When that relationship was described in the book of Revelation, he said, I'm standing at the door and knocking. Not because I want you to fulfill all my rules, but because I want to come in and dine with you. Revelation chapter three, verse 20. Look it up real quick, scroll to it, highlight it. Jesus is standing, waiting to go to lunch in 16 minutes. He wants to know us. He wants to be our friends. When he described the gathering crowds to his disciples, Jesus said, look, these are my sheep. He didn't say, I know their name tags. He didn't say, I remember when they were dipped. He said, they know my voice. They heard and responded. I was watching a YouTube video. You know, going live stream was the worst thing that ever happened to me. I'm just confess it openly. I don't know. We may start a new group here at church, YouTube Anonymous. It's just so addicting sometimes. There was this YouTube video about this little girl with this little chipmunk. Why am I watching this? I don't know. I don't have an answer for it. And she calls the chipmunk. I mean, I don't remember what the chipmunk's name was. It's Fred, for all I know. And she goes out on her back porch. She calls Fred. And Fred comes running across the yard. Now, see, I expect that out of my dogs. I'm a ruthless trainer on my dogs. If I call them, you come immediately. That's the way it works. I did the same thing with my kids, and it didn't work as good. My wife has attempted to do the same thing with me, but the tinnitus makes it a little more difficult, or at least I can pretend like, what was that, honey? (laughs) Jesus said, if we know him, we know his voice. 
If he speaks today in a whisper, would we hear it? If he yells at us and says, James, what are you doing wasting all those hours on YouTube? We need to listen. That's the commitment win, is that our heart would be tender and open to God. And Josiah, our little hero, man, he wastes no time. If that's, if that's the case, if this is what creates the fail, if this is what creates the win, then we need to position people in the ability to experience this and have the opportunity to make the commitment so he has a commitment gathering. He gets them together just like we do every Sunday. The king sent messengers in verse 1 of chapter 23. They gathered all the elders of Judah and Jerusalem they gathered the king into the temple with all the men of Judah and all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, as well as the priests and the prophets, all the people from the youngest to the oldest, everybody got together so they would have the opportunity as a group to have tender hearts and make a commitment to believe, to follow, to obey, to be in relationship with God because he loves his creation and he's made everything possible. He made everything available for that creation to know him and be recreated regardless of how badly we've stained and polluted and messed up our lives. Commitment fails can be transformed into commitment wins, not because we have enough energy or strength or determination, but because God always has enough grace and enough mercy and enough love. On the cross, as Jesus is dying, as he's crying out, taking our sin upon himself, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? As the Father turns his back on the Son because the Son takes our sin upon himself, in the midst of that excruciating moment, one tender heart that had been hard all of its life, said, Jesus, I want to be with you. And in spite of all of his pain and the weight of taking on the world's sin, Jesus said, okay, today, today you'll be in paradise. Today you'll be in my home. We'll finish this crucifixion up and we'll go home. We gather to be reminded that God made everything possible for us to know him and to be with him and to live with him and let him live in our lives. That's why gathering is important. That's why it's important for us to get together. That's why it's important for us to be on live stream. That's why important, it's important for us to be in fellowship groups because in the synergy of the moment, we move beyond what God's doing in my heart, what God's doing in your heart, to what God's doing in our heart, and that shapes our world. It changes things. So we gather so that the commitment can be made, not so that we can just simply tighten up and stretch up and get ready to do something, but so that we can be ready to hear God do something. 
And I love this. This is the, the, whole, the really cool part of Josiah's reign and the revival and the renewal that Josiah brings to the people is the way Scripture played such a critical role. In verse 2 of chapter 23, as they gathered for this commitment gathering time, they gathered for guidance. He read in their hearing all the words of the book of the covenant that had been found in the Lord's temple. They started reading the Bible again and God started changing lives. We need guidance. We, we need coaching. We need direction. We need understanding. We, we need that help. And the scripture gives it to us. That's why it's so critical. We emphasized this last week. We'll see it again next week. But the scripture makes the difference. And that's why it's so important that we understand it. It's so important that we read it. It's so important that we are studying it. It's so, I'm, and I'm not saying, and this may sound funny coming from a guy who is a professional student of the scripture. I am not wanting this church to become biblical experts. What I'm wanting our church to do is interact with the word of God so that we hear the voice of God and God changes our life and we change our world. As Jesus touches us, we touch our world, taking Jesus with us. And the scripture tells us how to do that. That's why it becomes our authority. That's why it becomes what guides us and leads us and what determines our decision. That's why we make our decisions from a biblical paradigm. We make our decisions from a biblical filter. And I know it's an ancient book. But it is an ancient book inspired by God in such a way that it can become applicable in any generation and in any set of circumstances. If we have tender hearts to hear it. And so it helps us make decisions. It guides us. Because at some point we'll have to make a decision. At some point, it's not just a passive sort of relationship where we sit here and we, we experience and we think about and we ponder. At some point, a decision has to be made. And that decision happens in verse 3. The king stands up. It describes him as standing next to one of the pillars. And he made a covenant. A covenant is simply a contract. It is a, a type of commitment. It starts off verbally and it becomes written in both this case and also in the case of the, the people of Israel in the Old Testament. It's what Jesus established with us on the night when he was betrayed, when he was eating dinner with his disciples and he took the bread and he broke it and said, look, this bread, it symbolizes my body, which is broken for you. And he took the cup and he said, look, the cup, this, this fruit of the vine, this symbolizes the, the blood I'm about to spill for you. But it's not blood for without purpose. It's blood that establishes a new covenant, a new contract, a new commitment, a new relationship. The disciples didn't understand it at the moment, but Jesus's death was about to make the access to God open for all mankind. Josiah stands up next to the pillar, makes a covenant in the Lord's presence to follow the Lord, to keep his commands, his decrees, his statutes. Here's that phrase again. With all his heart, with all his soul, to carry out the words of this covenant that were written in this book 
And the book he's referring to is probably the first five books, what we call the Pentateuch, probably a word you may or may not have heard. It just simply means five books. It's the first five books, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. It's the first five books of the Old Testament because that's what Josiah had at that point in time. Can't imagine what Josiah would think if he was alive today and had the ability to read the rest of the Bible and all the New Testament that we have. We're going to do these things written in this book. And all the people agreed with the covenant. They agreed with the contract. They agreed with the commitment. You have to make a decision. It, it always comes down to this. We can speculate about Jesus all we want forever. But at some point, we have to make a decision. If he's literally standing at the door, as he describes in Revelation chapter 3, and if he's standing at that door knocking, persistently continuing to knock, we have to make a decision. And the decision to put off opening the door is a decision. It's a decision, according to this passage of Scripture we looked at this morning, that will ultimately lead to a fail because it will keep us from having the presence in the work of God in our lives. But the decision to open the door lets Jesus in. We all have to make the decision. Nobody can make the decision for us. There are wives listening right now that are praying their hearts out and they're saying inside multiple upon multiple times throughout their life, Lord, please let my husband hear this. There are some husbands that are thinking similar things. There are some grandparents that are wishing their grandchildren were listening right now. There are some grandchildren that quite honestly wish their parents would hear this. Nobody can make that decision for us. A relationship with Jesus is a one-on-one -on -one relationship. It is a commitment each individual makes. If I could have made it for my kids, I would have made it while they were in the womb, but I couldn't. And so I waited and I waited till they were ready to make that decision. And I thank God every day they made that decision to trust in Jesus. You have to make the decision. Nobody's going to make the decision for you. Josiah said, this is what I'm going to do. And the people said, we will do it as well. It's not an uncommon thing in Scripture for that kind of thing to take place. Josiah would be very familiar with the historical account of Joshua, the second leader of Israel after the Exodus. When as they were going to go into the Promised Land, Joshua said, I'm going to build my ranch in these mountains. That's not what he said. He said, today, me, and my household will follow the Lord. I've made my decision. Will anyone go with me? 